You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Caroline Hyde's off today. This is Bloomberg Technology. And my, what a show we have for you. Coming up, Sam Altman returns to OpenAI. We'll break down the changes at the artificial intelligence company as Altman takes the helm after a shock ouster. We speak to Vino Kosler, the first venture investor into OpenAI. Plus, the world's most valuable chipmaker, NVIDIA, tops earnings estimates, but fails to meet loftier expectations from investors. We break down the results and we'll take a deep dive into the world of crypto as CZ pleads guilty to criminal charges for anti-money laundering and US sanctions violations, all that and so much more ahead. A very quick check on the kind of public market perspective of what is going on in the world. NVIDIA smashes it in the fiscal third quarter, gives a very strong outlook in the fiscal fourth quarter, ahead of the street consensus. The story, the impact of US technology curbs taking hold, it will impact them in the fiscal fourth quarter. We will go deep and bring you the analysis on that stock and what the world of AI accelerators looks like going into next year. The other publicly traded proxy for the big story is Microsoft. Sam Altman is back at OpenAI. This has largely been seen as a big plus for Microsoft. The stock up 1.5%. It's the third time this week that Microsoft has hit a fresh record high. There is some element that Microsoft gets what it wants. We will discuss that throughout the program. We have an excellent external voice coming right up. But first, our top story. Sam Altman's return to OpenAI as CEO. I want to bring in Shireen Ghaffari. Okay, let's start with the basics. Sam Altman is back as CEO, and there are some temporary board changes? We don't know, let's be honest, but what are those changes? Right, so there are some new board members and you know it's unclear exactly the details, but it seems like there may, they may be appointing a new board long term. Right. For now, it is going to be Larry Summers, um, Adam D'Angelo, still on the board. Who was already a board member. Who was already a board member. 
Um, and then we have Brett Taylor. Brett Taylor, that's right, um, who was also a member on the board of Twitter. Right, like he was chairman Salesforce. when Twitter, now known as X, was sold to Elon Musk. Correct. So he has experience with companies in crises, right, and with enduring leadership changes. Um, so that's a new board. We're, we're seeing reported, right, that uh, Tasha and Helen are out. Yeah, um, I'm hearing that from sources as well. Yep. Uh, Tasha and Helen, who were on the board that, fri- that fired Sam Altman, excuse me, Friday, are not, as it stands, my understanding, and I think other outlets have reported, they're not on the board. Correct. And remember, Tasha and Helen were both keyboard members who ousted Sam Altman, right, and um, were, were behind, essentially, this coup. So it makes sense that with Sam returning, part of that negotiation would involve having people who turned on him out. Uh, for our audience worldwide, uh, disclosure, Larry Summers is a, a paid contributor on Bloomberg Television, so, so that's that. Um, a lot of people around the world ask, why the drama? Why do any of us around the world care about OpenAI? Who leads it? Uh, the answer to me seems, well, OpenAI is the face of AI. Absolutely. I mean, this is an industry leader. Remember that AI has been something that Silicon Valley's talked about for decades, but it didn't really explode onto the market until OpenAI came out with ChatGPT just about a year ago, right? That was a breakthrough moment. So they are the ones setting the tone for this industry. They are the ones making AI relevant on a consumer level. They're the ones who came out with products that 100, you know, 100 million people are actually using. So how AI go, how OpenAI goes, the rest of the industry will go, and that's why I think people should care about this story. I think it's important to recap that this all started Friday lunchtime and we are now Wednesday the day before Thanksgiving and we actually don't have a definitive end to this story there's a part of the resolution where there will be an independent investigation into Sam Altman why he was fired just explain the rest of what was announced late last night by OpenAI Correct. So we're going to see, uh, you know, and, and again, remember, this is a negotiation between two sides. You have the, the old board who was very skeptical of Sam Altman and pushed him out. And then you have Sam having this, you know, prodigal return. So um, on the other side, we sort of see this concession in that there will be an investigation into Sam's, um, out, you know, conduct. Um, so far, the only allegations we've seen raised against him by the board or people close to the board are pretty vague, right? Just uh, statements around that he essentially uh, was not candid with the board, but we don't know about exactly what was he not candid allegedly about. Yeah, beyond maybe, maybe a philosophical point of difference on the existential threat of AI. And I reported and and you reported that one reason Emmett Shear was added as the CEO on an interim basis is that he was an EA. He shared that existential threat. Yes, and that gets to a key detail that we should mention, which is that, you know, the interim CEO, Emmett Shear, is stepping down. Right. Right. And so he's being seen in the industry now. I'm seeing a lot of people react in tech saying that he he sort of um, is is actually not as maybe bad as people thought who were pro-SAM because he's sort of giving up now and letting Sam Altman come back. All right, Bloomberg's Shireen Gifari, you've been just incredible reporting over the last five days or so. Let's continue the conversation. There is another party to this drama, Microsoft, and we need to understand what this means for them. Michael Pachter of Wedbush joins us now, someone that's covered Microsoft closely for a long time. Simple question, what does this mean for Microsoft? Uh, it's, it's pretty huge. Um, uh, you know, I think that if you think about why we haven't had deep AI uh, solutions for the last 20 years, it's that computing power hadn't caught up. 
and <clears throat> OpenAI is integrated into Microsoft Cloud. I mean, Microsoft made a huge investment in them to make sure that happens. And Microsoft Cloud is building its its um, scale. It's scaling all of its products, all of its user interface, all of its uh, developer and product interfaces to make sure they work with OpenAI. So you need massive computing power. You know, if you if you were to decide to write a Charles Dickens novel in the voice of Stephen King, you need a product that's going to read every right. Charles Dickens ever, and that requires massive cloud capability. So Microsoft is leveraging something it's already built and integrating it into what they consider to be the up-and-coming application. And developers are going to be forced to use Microsoft Cloud if they want to use OpenAI. Uh, but, but Michael Pachter, this is not a Charles Dickens novel. This is real life. For what it's worth, I've lived it for the last five days. Um, I want to go to the point of, of what Satya Nadella told our Emily Chang, which is surprises are bad. And clearly, as we've reported at Bloomberg, a priority for Microsoft was to address uh, governance changes, governance structure. Can Microsoft say with any certainty, and I, you know, I, I, you're, in, you're analyzing the stock, right, and, it's, and Microsoft's leadership, but can they say with any certainty that this is the end of the story, this is the outcome that they wanted? Um, they made a lot of friends, I think, by hiring Sam Altman. And, you know, you saw that the letter, you know, demanding the board resign was signed by 715 of the 750 employees. Um, they then offered, apparently offered, all of those employees a job at Microsoft. So, um, you know, would they rather have rebuilt everything starting from scratch with all the same employees? Or would they rather just leverage what those employees have already built? Um, and ultimately, I think it's easier to just continue the partnership than to try to rebuild. So I think that they, they won either way. Um, they win more, I think, keeping things as is. It will require less of an investment. Nadella managed this masterfully. I mean, he, he honestly was an honest broker in the whole process, and he reaffirmed his commitment to Altman and to the product and to the product team. So I, I think everything that they did was just flawlessly executed. Michael, how closely is Microsoft's valuation tied to the investment it made in Microsoft? A thesis outlined on this show yesterday that the $10 billion investment they put into OpenAI at the beginning of the year has translated to the $1 trillion valuation. It's direct. Do you, do you agree with that? I, I, look, it's really it's hard to value Microsoft uh, based solely on a single investment. Um, the the company is worth you know the sum of its future cash flows, and so if the market is making a bet that Microsoft can leverage ten or thirteen billion into a trillion of ultimate profit, then the market's right. I mean that's really what this comes down to: that the market thinks that this is going to turn into let's say a hundred billion of free cash flow a year. In perpetuity, you know, at some point 20, 30 years from now. Um, I'm not smart enough to tell you what the market is thinking. I can tell you that this is worth a lot to them. And I should say, current market cap, 2.8 trillion. Michael Pactor of Wedbush, great to have you on this program. Thank you so much.
This is an individual H100 GPU or graphics processing unit, NVIDIA's AI Accelerator. But in reality, it's not just a chip that comes out of a plant. When we talk about the H100 GPUs training AI models, we're likely talking about DGX H100, NVIDIA's AI supercomputer. That's eight H100 GPUs combined, capable of 32 quadrillion floating point operations per second. Crazy computer performance. It's a server design, and this is what it looks like under the lid. It starts with an H100 GPU seen here in the form of an SXM module. Eight individual SXMs are topped with heat sinks designed to dissipate heat generated from running big AI workloads. Those are connected on a single baseboard by interconnectors, and that assembly alone weighs 60 pounds. Add CPUs and other components, and a finished DGX system weighs almost 300 pounds. But the scale in the real world is bigger still. Some of the most powerful large language models are trained on the NVIDIA DGX SuperPod. That is 32 DGX H100 systems combined into what's called a scalable unit. At its absolute most mind-boggling scale, DGX SuperPod can be up to 64 scalable units. That's more than 16,000 individual H100 GPUs. An AI company may use several SuperPods to train their LLM. In the end, the DGX infrastructure sent out to the hyperscale cloud providers to put in their massive data centers. We bring you that video, something we put out before, because it was a point of discussion on the call. NVIDIA reporting third quarter results, beating expectations in the fiscal third quarter yesterday, giving an outlook for the fiscal fourth, which was strong on any account. The chip company been a major beneficiary of the AI trade, up more than 240% this year on the stock, prompting Wolf Research's Chris Casso to remain very bullish, an outperform rating and a $630 price target on that stock. And Chris Casso, joins us now. Uh, welcome to the, the program, Wolf Research Manag Managing Director for Semiconductors. So the stock's down. We go into this saying really high hurdle. They didn't pass the really high hurdle based on the stock reaction. But what was the, the big takeaway for you? What did you learn about NVIDIA's data center business? Well, uh, certainly the numbers were very strong. And, and as you said, uh, expectations are elevated coming into the print. But uh, the concern that we heard from investors coming into this event was not about how strong the numbers are right now. It's really about where do we go from here. And I think there's some concerns over just kind of peak revenue here in calendar 24, precisely because NVIDIA has become such a large part of overall cloud capex. And what we think they need to do next is give people comfortable comfort that you know, there's just going to be enough dollars to be able to, to uh, generate uh, in, NVIDIA growth. Right. What we think is over the next year, there's enough product cycle catalyst, there's new products coming out, and most importantly, the pricing of those products are, are, are substantially higher, which is driving growth. But the longer term that I think kind of really moves the stock well over $500 is convincing people that, you know, there's enough dollars flowing into the data center to be able to accommodate exactly. this growth. Okay, so let's go there. This is what Jensen Huang, the CEO of NVIDIA, said on the call. Absolutely, he sees data center can grow through 2025. Several factors or reasons, they're expanding their supply quite significantly. Do you buy that? And that's calendar year 25, by the way, not fiscal 25. 
Well, certainly that's the case. And, you know, we've seen, we speak to the suppliers in that, and, and certainly they're adding capacity. There's a particular type of uh, assembly backend capacity that, that's very unique to NVIDIA that nobody expected it to be this large at this point. It takes some time to add that capacity. That happens. Um, again, the other factor, which I think is, is, is somewhat misunderstood with regard to the stock, is a, a large part of the growth is coming from pricing. And that's a function of Moore's Law slowing down. The chips themselves are more expensive. The H100, the current version, is is almost three times as expensive as the prior version. But the benefit that NVIDIA gives you is it's more than 10 times the performance. So you're, you, you, basically more of this, this pricing is coming to NVIDIA because they're giving you so much more performance for the same dollar. So the big unknown is the long-term ability to sell chips into China. This is what Colette Crest, the CFO, said in the letter to shareholders, that basically there will be an impact in the fiscal four from US technology curbs, right? And they will ship less to China in that quarter, but they will more than make up for it in growth or offset by strong growth in other regions. How do you price in the China risk on this stock? Well, for right now, for the January quarter guidance, there's very little China in there as uh, uh, right now. So, you know, to some extent, that's been de-risked already. We also, and the company talked on the call, and, and our own checks have been indicating that there is a new chip that will be compliant with China that will come out in the first half of, of next year. You would imagine that there's some pent-up demand for that chip since that, you know, they can't ship it in the January quarter. The question that management doesn't know is what's going to be the reception of this chip in China. And uh, it, it's going to have less performance because that's what's required to meet the, the, the uh, new regulations. But, uh, you know, it what are the Chinese going to do with it? Our view is that we think there's, the Chinese customers are still going to buy it because there's really no alternative in the marketplace right now. And the the problem is that the, there are local Chinese uh, uh, alternatives from, from folks like Huawei, for example, but that's also accompanied with manufacturing restrictions on China. So Huawei, right. for example, they can build an AI chip. Uh, they can design an AI chip, but they can't build it with leading edge technology because Chinese uh, uh, manufacturing facilities don't have access to that. So, you know, the net of it is we think the Chinese are going to have to buy NVIDIA product, even if it's less performance, because that's all that's going to be available. Right. To Chris, Chris Casso, Wolf Research Managing Director, covering semis. We're tight on time, but we're grateful to have you on the show. Thank you. Now, coming up here on BTEC, Binance CEO CZ pleads guilty to anti-money laundering and U.S. sanctions violations. Jalak Jobamputra, founder and managing partner of Future Perfect Ventures, is our guest with The Take next. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. 
Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Another story we're watching... Binance after its CEO Chang Peng Zhao pleaded guilty to anti-money laundering and U.S. sanctions violations under a sweeping settlement with the U.S. that allows the crypto exchange to continue operating. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong, a competitor, joined Bloomberg Tuesday to discuss. Well, I think this is really um, a vindication of the long-term strategy that Coinbase has taken to build a trusted and regulated company. Going back to 2012, we really decided to do that and got the licenses and got the teams in place that were necessary to run that type of company. And then every few years, we did see a new company come on the scenes that didn't take that approach. Sometimes they would grow very quickly uh, because they were able to offer products that we didn't think were legal. But inevitably, inevitably, they do come crashing down. You know, regulators do eventually act, even if they don't act quickly. And that's what we saw here in this case today. So um, it's not only been, a, I think, an opportunity for Coinbase to, to step in, but it's also an opportunity for the industry, I think, to turn the page here and say that, yeah, some of the rules are clear around AML, KYC, OFAC, the, the issues that Binance really had, um, you know, stepped over the line on. But some areas of the law are not yet clear. We need to go get that regulatory clarity to make sure that the future of this industry is built here in America, not on offshore unregulated exchanges. And so that's what we need to go do next. And I think it'll prevent this kind of activity in the future. But listen, even with this crackdown that you're seeing, there were some really scathing allegations in the DOJ's crackdown, uh, sanctions violations, uh, illegal trafficking of drugs. You know, how do you know that this is it? How do you know that there are not more bad actors out there that would continue to stain crypto? Well, I can tell you uh, the companies that I really engage with, uh, at least especially the ones here built in the United States, they don't get the big headlines because it's not salacious. Um, they haven't you know, rocketed up because you know, they're not following the rules. But there are dozens of really well-intentioned and well-funded uh, and compliant U.S.-based crypto companies that are building this industry. I mean, you have to remember that 52 million Americans have used crypto now. Uh, about 400 million people globally. And so um, while there is there are bad actors who try to use crypto, uh, the best data we have is that that's less than 1% of the activity is for illicit purposes. By the way, the U.S. dollar cash is about 4% illicit activity. So crypto is really not uniquely crime-ridden, and the centralized actors in crypto 
they need to follow these rules around transaction monitoring, KYC, AML, just that like Coinbase has been doing for over a decade now to make mm-hmm. sure bad actors don't uh, take advantage of these systems. That was Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong along with Bloomberg's Shanali Basak. Let's keep the conversation going. So much has happened in the last 24 hours. Jalak Jobamputra, founder and managing partner of Future Perfect Ventures, early stage VC firm zeroed in on blockchain, blockchain tech, crypto, AI, human computer interaction. I pose the question that Shanali put to Brian Armstrong. When you're in this market and investing in this sector, how do you know that that's it? That's all there is left to come out? Well, it's good to talk to you again, Ed. We, we spoke after the FTX ruling, um, and, and the way I look at this right now is the other shoe has dropped. Now, we can't guarantee that there's nothing else out there, but those of us in the industry have been waiting for a while to see what happened with uh, Binance. We, we know that they've been under investigation for several years now. Uh, there have been a number of allegations against them. CZ has been notorious for moving the company uh, to different jurisdictions, first China and then Japan and then Malta. And so we knew something was coming. And, and the fact that this finally happened, these allegations um, were, were proven, uh, they've been fined, CZ is out, but the exchange is still running. And, and so I think that is an indication that regulators also understand that crypto is not going away, yes. but they want to encourage uh, the, the good actors, the ones that want to be compliant. And our portfolio is full of those entrepreneurs and those companies. And uh, we, we welcome this and uh, we, we really want to move forward. So, Jack, we have 15 seconds. This impacts your ability to invest, yes or no? It makes it even more of an opportunity. Uh, we're, we're leveling the playing field for those that do want to be compliant. And, uh, and then we're looking forward to what happens with the ETF and, and uh, more adoption of crypto, as, as uh, Brian alluded to in his interview. All right. Jalak Jopanputra, we love having you on the show. Founder and managing partner of Future Perfect Ventures. Another big news story. is experimenting with AI. Last year, Walmart launched a text-to-shop feature allowing people to pick what to buy, automatically add it to their online cart, and check out right from a text message. Walmart wants to make its app and website just as conversational with AI. It's working on a generative AI-powered search where you can ask a question similar to how you'd ask ChatGPT on Walmart's app or website and bring up product suggestions. For example, asking what decor you need for a housewarming party. There's also an AI shopping assistant in the works where customers can chat with a virtual assistant when deciding what to buy, like getting a recommendation for what kind of cell phone to buy for a 10-year-old. The retailer also introduced augmented reality tools last year to try on clothing virtually or see how furniture will look in their home. Right now, you can test out how a TV will look in your space. For example, you can compare different sizes or product suggestions. So soon, Walmart will add generative AI into the mix. You'll be able to ask the AI assistant how to decorate a space and get suggestions and pricing as well as see the items in the space using the AR technology. Walmart says it's training these tools on a variety of AI models that are currently available not one specific large language model. The generative AI tools are still in test phase, Walmart says, but will be available to customers very soon. Okay, Walmart is in the AI games. Let's get into it with Walmart US Omni Platforms and Tech Executive Vice President Srini Venkatesan. Srini, welcome to the program. 
we outlined some of the, the tools that you guys have been working on over at Walmart. Of those that we outlined, what is gaining most traction, right? This is about consumer behaviors and how we shop. And, and I guess I'm just curious to know which tool you think is going to change the game in that respect. Uh, thanks, Ed, for having me on the show. At Walmart, we are at the cusp of dramatic changes that the customers are finding ways to discover, buy, and shop goods, right? Be it the speed of delivery, be it the way that they want to shop it in an online experience, which is very simple for them. It has been what we have been trying to do is to make it very easy for them to do their shopping. Uh, to your question on what is really getting traction is, as we think about the Gen AI, decision assistant, and search uh, queries, those are things that the customers are really starting to use more, and we are seeing positive engagement so far. Srini, given the events of the last five days, I have to ask, where does your technology come from, the underlying large language model that powers the tool? So uh, at Walmart, we have always in, uh, invested in artificial intelligence, right? We have invested it in for transportation and other uh, forecasting and other optimizations that has made us what we are in our supply chain and in our uh, transportation sector. We have taken those learnings and then we have now combined that with the Gen AI tools that are available out in the public. Not any one specific tools. We have uh, done it with all large language models. And we are combining that with the extensive data we have which is our Walmart uh, uh, catalog and other data that we have seen by purchasing behaviors that we have seen. Right. And that's how we have trained our AI to make it really powerful. But is there a technology relationship with OpenAI and their GPT technology? No, we, we try to be LLM agnostic, right? What, what we are trying to basically get at is how do we get the language understanding correct with pretty much every other uh, provider. We've tried it with OpenAI, we use Google tools, and we also use other open source tools like Llama. What we focused on is what we call Walmart embeddings, which are our internal data that we really train the models on, which combined with the query understanding makes it very powerful. Srini, in the retail context, what are the biggest pitfalls and risks with bringing generative AI technology into the kind of sales and transaction stage of your relationship with the customer? I think uh, there are two ways you can look at it, Ed. Like uh, the way that we have tried to frame it as like, what is the customer really looking for? Like what are they really trying to do in a way that makes the shopping experience better? So what we've seen is the shoppers are doing multiple sessions and multiple plans to really shop multiple products. What we are really trying to harness the power of Gen AI is, can I explain my problem and I can get all the multi-product search at the same time? So I think that is kind of the pro of Gen AI. What it does is it basically understands the query much more easily, and it's actually able to make your shopping experience much more simpler. Again, there are going to be learnings out of it as we discover how people actually interact with it in a conversational way. And that is where our model training and our improvements are going to make sure that we are leaning on the right side for the customer. Walmart US Omni Platforms Tech Executive Vice President Srini Venkatasen, thank you so much for your time here on Bloomberg Technology. We have so much more ahead and we'll get back to the big story of the week. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. 
That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. We continue to be committed to OpenAI and we continue to be committed to Sam and Greg and the team, irrespective of where they are. I've never seen this in in my my coverage of tech in 20 years. I think transparency is key. That's a lesson from this weekend. My number one take is that non-profit doesn't work. The capped profit model that OpenAI was um, spearheading was more of an experiment. I haven't seen this specific structure anywhere else and I can't imagine we ever will again after the debacle that this all was. We definitely will want some governance changes so you know, you know, surprises are bad. To some of the many voices we've had on Bloomberg this week reacting to the OpenAI saga. For more, let's bring in the founder of Coastal Ventures, Vinod Kosla. The first venture check written to OpenAI. Uh, Mr. Kosla, good morning to you. Thank you for your time on Bloomberg Technology. Oh, great to be here on a hopefully good occasion. Well, I, 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 I get the sense from your posts on X that for you this is a good occasion, but just start with your reaction to Sam Altman being reinstalled at OpenAI. I've stated this before and I can state it again. I'm very happy to see Sam back. He's uniquely positioned to, uh, for stewardship of this very important company. It's much more than just a company. It uh, is benefit of AI to humanity in a much larger way over the next few decades. Uh, and I think we've restored the path. Mr. Kosler, you outlined a thesis that when the board on Friday, or the board as it was then on Friday, fired Sam Altman, they set back artificial intelligence. Why was that the conclusion that you reached? Mostly because Sam is uniquely qualified to shepherd this, and he has a vision over the next decade or two of what AI can do. I can't imagine somebody else being able to step on those shoes easily and without a lot of risk to the mission 
of what opening I was. Vinod, when I posted on X that you were coming on the show, there was a lot of interest. You were the first venture investor in OpenAI, and there was a very specific question posed for you, which is, and, and forgive the framing of the question, but this is what the audience asks. What happens if Sam Altman gets hit by a bus? What happens if Sam Altman uh, is discovered to have had some wrongdoing? What happens to OpenAI in that scenario? There are other people at OpenAI who are very qualified to do that. Greg Brockman would be among my favorites in the current OpenAI team. And I think they should de-risk this by adding more people to the team who can step in. But uh, if he does get hit by a bus, I think we would have to do with uh, Greg Brockman, who is very much off the same vision and mission. Vinod, what we're talking about, I guess, is, is key man risk. And uh, just as you have, you know, I've, I've been reporting on the story since Friday lunchtime, considering what's happening. But the, the takeaway has been that the value of OpenAI appears to be the intellectual capital, right, of its people. And when Microsoft reacted to uh, the news, the, the idea was in the, the kind of mutiny that was going on that, that those people would simply go and join Microsoft. And, and I wondered what you thought about that eventuality, which to some extent now is academic, but there is still a close tie between the two. I think the close tie helps make this make progress in AI because it needs a lot of resources. And frankly, I'm very pleased that OpenAI is there, Google is there, and there's at least two major efforts, a few others, credible efforts in the AI industry. Uh, so I do think Microsoft's support, Microsoft supporting OpenAI really helps it move it along, give it the resources Google has internally. And more competition is generally a good thing. And more AIs will uh, make progress move faster. So I'm very happy with that. Uh, I won't comment on OpenAI team becoming a part of Microsoft AI. Uh, I always believed we would find a resolution. It was only a matter of time. So I was, I had uh, complete faith in this solution. In fact, my conversation with Sam around noon on Friday when this first was announced is I don't think it's over was my first comment back to Sam. You didn't think it was over Friday lunchtime. It, it seems like an eternity ago that it was Friday lunchtime when the, when the headlines broke. I, I mean, it, it is an issue of the board and corporate governance, right? And what we know is that Brett Taylor, at least on a, an interim basis, joins the board along with Larry Summers. For our audience, Larry Summers is a paid contributor of Bloomberg Television. And then my understanding is Adam DeAngelo stays at the board. It, it, to your mind, as an investor in this company, you know those names in Silicon Valley, is this addressing the corporate governance uh, question enough? Uh, I've, I've been on a board with Larry Summers at Square, or now called Block, uh, and, and I admired Larry. Uh, I think uh, over time, the board will build up to more governance, and I think three is a small board, but over time there'll be more governance and better process. I think we've learned an important lesson on governance uh, here. Uh, and frankly, I didn't, in my remote imagination, uh, imagine that something like this 
could happen or the board would do this. There were some errant people on the board who misinterpreted their own religion around EA or effective altruism. Uh, what? I, I, I think this was really errant, surprising, shocking in every way. It was, uh, but totally unexpected under almost any circumstance. And the employees of OpenAI spoke to it by offering to join Sam in whatever he did. Uh, Vinod, I, I would love to get into the EA and, and, and X threat debate. We will in just a moment. But just you just mentioned what you see as bad actors. Do you know definitively as an investor in this company, and you said that you'd spoken to Sam Friday at midday, do you have a clear sense on why Sam was fired in the first place? I have not talked to the board members who participated in that discussion. Uh, and frankly, I have very little interest in talking to the two members that left. Uh, but I think it's errant behavior on their part. It was, of course, as re widely reported, triggered by Ilya for uh, having some concerns. And Ilya has since changed his mind. And I'm very ad admire Ilya a lot for changing his mind publicly. I think he deserves real kudos for that. But uh, no, I haven't talked to the board directly uh, that made this decision without Sam, without Greg. Uh, so I couldn't speak to it further. And, and to, to be clear, you, you're in the, the school of thought that, that Ilya deserves a second chance to carry on or continue with OpenAI. Absolutely. So let's get to the debate, the existential threat debate. You know, much of what's been discussed is a philosophical point of difference, right? Sam, at least as, as I've reported, he's the product guy, right? He leads the, the global negotiation with policymakers. He is the one that attracts the talent. And the board was, as of Friday, largely made up of academics who, who seem to have an emphasis on the existential threat that AI poses to humankind. Where do you stand on that debate of commercialization versus slowing down, looking at what the risks are? I published a pen to piece for the information at theinformation.com this weekend on this risk issue and what I feel happened. Uh, humanity faces the basket of risk. A sentient AI ex existential risk is no different than an asteroid hitting the planet either. Uh, there's this risks that humanity faces, uh, this basket of risk has to be balanced against the basket of opportunity to free humanity from the slavery of really bad hourly jobs where you do the same thing for eight hours a day repetitively for 30 years of your career or where uh, uh, you can have free doctors available to everybody on the planet or near free doctors and near free tutors and my uh, my wife's nonprofit ck12.org is providing for free free tutors to everybody in conjunction with OpenAI. Um, on their website uh, and in the OpenAI uh, chat GPT store. Those kinds of benefits, uh, and including half the people on the planet from the kind of slavery that hourly repetitive jobs afford them, uh, and enough GDP growth to pay for that, uh, those people, uh, is what the opportunity is. So risks have to be balanced against opportunity, and that has been fundamentally missing. There's a very, very high risk 
of China having superior AI and interfering starting next year in our 2024 election with persuasive AI that convinces voters through persuasive arguments and personal knowledge. Yes. But there are many, many risks that have to be balanced. Not just one exists of, from a movie, sci-fi sci -fi movie, fantasy gone wild that says uh, a, a robots take over and destroy the humans. Uh, that's pretty silly in the uh, basket of risks yes. we are actually dealing with, and there's serious risks we need to address. And in both this weekend's paper and a blog I published on China as our principal risk in AI uh, a few weeks ago in medium.com are worth looking at. And I think they need to be treated seriously, but not this way. Uh, Vino, thank you for outlining that, that thesis. I want to get back to the corporate governance, the not-for-profit versus the for-profit. Yesterday, uh, we had Josh Wolf of, of Lux Capital on the show. I think that's somebody you probably know. And he said the first thing that Sam Altman should do when he returns to OpenAI is take OpenAI public, do an IPO. Uh, your response to that? You know, I'm not going to comment on what they should do. I think OpenAI is in a good position. It's a good financial position. The only reason to go public would be uh, uh, would be because it needs more resources, and I don't think it needs more resources right now. What I would say, the structure is not as unusual as people make it out to be. There's companies in Europe owned by nonprofits, so at least significantly owned and controlled by nonprofits. So that structure has existed in Europe before. Um, and, and I think there's nothing wrong with the structure. There was something wrong with the governance. And I hope over the next year we can fix that. Uh, Mr. Kostler, finally, uh, a lot of people are thinking about the 770 OpenAI employees. One point that was made to me by, by sources in the Valley is this pending tender presented potentially life-changing amounts of money for those people, and they were willing to put it on hold or jeopardize it in, in sticking with Sam. Do you know what the latest on the tender is and your thoughts on the staff? I think it's too early to comment on it, but I don't know any reason the world will be any different tomorrow than what it was on Thursday evening. Okay. Coastal Ventures founder, Vino Costa. I'm incredibly grateful for your time. We asked all of your investor counterparts to join us in the show. You said yes, and we're grateful for it. Thank you for your time. This is Bloomberg Technology. Okay, also in the news, talking tech. First up, North Korea is claiming a victory that it successfully put a spy satellite into orbit, moving Kim Jong-un closer to his pledge to keep an eye on the U.S. forces that are operating in the region. Officials in South Korea say they've assessed the satellite launch, but added it was still unclear if the device was operational. And Jack Ma is walking back plans to sell 10 million shares in Alibaba. Ma, who founded the internet company, will continue to hold on to his stake 
which is worth about 870 million US dollars. Alibaba shares recently faced a sell-off, resulting in a $22 billion drop in market value in a single day. Plus, slim pickings for the Thanksgiving box office weekend is working against Disney's latest animated film, Wish. In the past, Thanksgiving has ranked among the most lucrative times for movie studios, but in recent years, a number of factors have conspired against that, such as the rise of streaming services and scaled-back marketing due to the Hollywood strikes. It has been an incredible week in Silicon Valley. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. To those in the US, happy Thanksgiving around the world. Don't forget to recap on the podcast, wherever you get your podcast. So many of you are listening to it, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and of course, of all the Bloomberg platforms. Again, happy Thanksgiving here to all Americans in the world. Stay tuned in. This is Bloomberg Technology. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.